Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Fairstyle Podcast on a Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful Easter weekend and we're ready for week two of USC Spring Football. But we got to talk about what happened in week one, including a fully padded practice with hitting and a Trojan drill, lots of stuff. But we're going to get all of the insight from Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. He was on campus for the first time in, I believe, over a year to check out Saturday's practice. So I will talk to him about that. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Let us know which show you'd like it to go to because we do have a lot of podcasts here on the Parastyle Podcast. So say, hey, this is for Coach Harvey Hyde or for the Keely and Ryan show or uh, for um, Family Feud, any of the shows. Just let us know on the podcast uh, podcast at uscfootball.com email address and we will address it to the right show and if you'd rather leave us a text or send us a voicemail we got a couple of voicemails today 424-254-9141 same thing let us know what show you're leaving it for and if you have a iphone or any kind of apple device if you have apple podcasts on there please follow us on the Parastel podcast leave us a five-star rating and any kind of review comments feedback suggestions we'd love to hear from you there and it definitely helps us to grow the show all right. Well, without further ado, we're going to bring in the Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, hope you had a great Easter weekend. How are you doing today, sir? I did. I had a great weekend. Everybody was excited about football at USC. It was the first time that everybody, uh, as far as the media is concerned, and no parents were there, but we had a chance to watch a uh, padded uh, USC football practice, and it was exciting. Uh, the media was exciting, uh, excited. We walked around. It was good seeing everyone as far as welcoming them back. And we have a new location. We've got all got well. We got so many things to talk about, Ryan. Let's just get started. Yeah. So I, I let's start with that first. So I went to practice on Tuesday. I didn't go Saturday because I was covering a high school game. I went to St. John Bosco, uh, Jay Sarah game. Uh, a bunch of USC guys in, in that one. But instead, so we had three people from uscfootball.com over at practice. So I figured I'd go to the high school game instead. Um, Coach Hyde was also there at practice. I believe it's the first time you've been back in over a year. It's, it's certainly different, you know, with the walk, you know, like the sidewalks that have one way. So what did you think about just the process of getting there, doing your Trojan check or your, well, you know, that wellness check before you get there? What was all that like? It was fine. Everything went smooth. It was very organized. We parked in the same place there in the parking structure, had a little farther to walk. But once we got there, they were very pleasant. They had our name uh, on the list as far as uh, entering and uh, gave us a wristband. And we went up about, I would say, two flights of stairs. And we were on the top floor there by the aquatic center that uh, <clears throat> when the fields run north and south and they had us all spaced out properly. And there wasn't a lot of media there, but we had a chance to move around and watch uh, a lot of the drills that we'd never been able to see for, uh, see before. And honestly, I went over to Tim and uh, Katie and I said, hey, guys, don't put us back in that other spot. This is so much better. And everybody more or less agreed uh, with the spot. I don't know if we'll stay there, but we're up. It's like being a 
in the end zone, uh, you're able to see the line splits. You're able to be able to see the action of the linemen, techniques, the whole thing. Uh, a lot of quarterback drills and uh, offensive line drills that we could never see before. We can't see a lot of the defensive drills, but we never could before anywhere <laughs> way down there. <laughs> so, you know, I suggested they keep us there, but I don't know if they will as far as, you know, it requires somebody to be up there with us, but it's no big deal. It was an absolute fabulous uh, day, and, uh, you know, Pete Arbogast, uh, Shotgun, you know, everybody was there. I mean, it was just a wonderful reunion as far as all of us, too, that got to know each other pretty good in the playpen. Yeah, the uh, the playpen was our little media pen, and this was, you know, I, I was fun going back and seeing people on Tuesday, seeing some of the, um, you know, the familiar faces that you really just haven't seen that much. A couple of the games, you know, that I went to, you got to see some of these people, but um, at this practice setting, that was definitely uh, different. This was fully padded practice, and we, I, you know, in the past, coach, usually you would have like two no pads practices, and then maybe a couple of shoulder pads practices, and then you'd get into full pads, but it wasn't necessarily like kind of jumping in, you know, it was sort of like getting your feet wet a little. This one, I know I wasn't there obviously, but uh, you know, from what my team told me and from talking to you, it seemed like they jumped in feet first with this one, like j fully immersed into a physical practice. I know it's something you've wanted to see. What was your overall thoughts on the physicality of this uh, Saturday practice? Well, I thought that they, uh, they taught before they hit, and I think that's very important to teach before you hit because uh, you, if you don't know who you're going to hit, then uh, it's pretty hard. You're thinking rather than playing football. So they did about an hour of uh, instruction techniques uh, and so on, and a little one-on-one -on -one with receivers and also the offensive line and the defensive line. And then they got together and they did a little half uh, line right and left, and uh, then they put it together the second hour with a scrimmage. And I thought it was good. Now, you know, uh, I saw things I, I, I was hoping I would see. I saw, I think, four two-back sets, lead draw, power off tackle. Didn't see any passing out of the two-back set, but I saw a two-back set, which is something I haven't seen in a long time, and I've been talking about it uh, for USC to use. I thought their running backs, because they were right below us, I liked their running backs. I thought they were skilled. I liked this new kid, Ingram. Uh, good kids. I mean, work hard, and Coach uh, Jenks really works them hard. There's no BS there, and, and I like that attitude. There isn't any messing around, and also I heard someone yell across the field, keep your helmet on. And you know uh, what I think of that as far as always keeping your helmet on when you go on the field, you only take your helmet off when you're told to take your helmet off. And I don't know if he listened to the podcast to get that, but I really like seeing that or hearing that and seeing that, and also I check the uniforms. That's something I always check, Ryan. You know I do. I think you're a team. You're not individuals. And uh, I saw almost everybody. I couldn't find someone that wasn't in the correct gear as far as yeah, the uniform of the day, which is the practice uniform they use, offense and defense, and the pants and the white socks. They had some spatting on their shoes. I've always liked spatting, okay, so I'm never going to cr criticize that. I think it looks sharp, and the kids love doing it as far as extra support on their ankles. So I, I was real happy with those uh, parts of it. Uh, Coach Helton really gets involved in coaching. We can talk about that later when we talk about the staff, because I can talk about 
what I think that's good if he's into it or not into it as much as he's into it. Uh, and uh, I thought that, uh, you know, nobody really moved the ball or did much because it's, you know, they're, they're even stunning against them. And I tell you, that's something I would never allow in the first practice because your offensive line is struggling already. And I would make defense uh, learn the hard way without giving them any type of easy ways of trying to get it done. Few players were missing. We talked about that. Uh, well, you know, I don't know where they are, but they say they're on protocol. But uh, what does that mean? That's a lot of different terms that can fall under that now. So, uh, And uh, also, we had a chance, or I had a chance, and I don't know if you noticed it, Ryan, to see the rehab center that they have over in the uh, right-hand corner, the west side, uh, northwest side of the uh, practice field. And uh, I watched those guys. They worked the entire practice. There wasn't any breaks. Uh, whoever was in charge of that, those guys were doing setups, leg ups, uh, core exercises, every type of exercise, ride the bike and so on, which, you know, I like to see them doing those type of things as far as thinking they're getting out of something, they're not getting out of anything, but I'd rather see them with their drills because when you're with your drills, uh, when a coach is coaching a drill, you're learning something even if it's not you as far as the way he's correcting someone or making a comment on something. And I'd rather see them do that type of rehab at a different time uh, when practice isn't going on. So, you know, there's a couple of things, and I can go through other things too if you want to, but I've been rambling here a little bit too long. No, it's a lot of a lot of good notes there, Coach. Um, I'm taking notes for myself from your observations, so that's good. Hopefully our listeners are as well. Um, yeah, we'll get into some of the staff stuff. You know, there's a, obviously a new offensive line coach. We do have a new perspective on practice from up top. But the the Trojan drill, which is a modified version of the Oklahoma drill, uh, apparently was very spirited. Um, this was a great way to kick off practice from what I've been told. What did you think of that uh, initial drill where they're lining up and, you know, basically doing like the Oklahoma drill and getting after each other, trying to, you know, take these one-on-one battles and uh, going full pads, full hitting all of that. Well, you know, I think it's a great drill, uh, but uh, I don't think it was <laughs> the offense has really got an advantage. The defense didn't have a great opportunity to do anything. And uh, uh, I think first of all, that the lines were a little bit too wide uh, expecting the uh, nose guard or whoever's on the defensive or offensive lineman and the linebacker to cover that much territory. I think that you've got to close it down a little bit where it becomes really competition, not an easy drill for the offensive side of the football. On the defensive side, the defensive lineman, all he would do is, you know, crash block with the offensive lineman, and he was taking himself out of the play. I think that would make it a little bit more difficult so the offensive lineman maybe has to hesitate a little bit to see if he's going to take him on or ham fight him or slip around him or whatever but uh, it's an offensive advantage drill the way they did it i don't like seeing the pads laying on the field where they stay within the pads lower pads because i've had players uh go outside like they did and trip over those pads or twist their ankles or twist their knees i'd rather have well, we used to use fire hoses uh, that you'd lay there so that they could definitely see and you'd pay them a color where they could see where it is. Or you can paint lines on the field when you're going to do that drill all the time. Now, they call that the Trojan drill, but I'm telling you, Marv Goo didn't get that from USC or start. That. that started with Oklahoma, and it's called the Oklahoma drill. If you said Trojan drill to most football people out there, they would say, what is that? But when you say Oklahoma drill, 
most coaches out there, people that know football would say, oh, yes, I know what that is. So, uh, you know, that's part of it. And also the downfield blocking, they worked on that uh, with the Oklahoma drill and different things as far as maintaining your blocks and so on. But, you know, it was a good way to start practice. They were spirited. I thought they won the national championship the way they were celebrating. But, uh, you know, the first day in pads, Ryan, you're, already, you're always spirited, okay? And it's been a long time since they've had spring practice. So I was happy with the morale. I was happy with the spirit and so on. Uh, but I, as I critique these practices, you can tell I'm critiquing them as if I'm walking around the drill and how it w- I would set drills up or how I would want my drills taught and all those different things. Now, Clay Hilton doesn't have to agree with me on any of these, but I'm just giving you what I observed. No, great observations, Coach. Uh, good to know. Yeah, that I thought the offense did want, you know, for what I was reading, want a little bit more. But you widen that field and you make those one-on-one battles a little bit easier on the offense. The tighter it is, obviously, it's an advantage to the defense. You got the sideline as an extra defender there. Um, but good to get your thoughts on that and how spirited it was. Also, new strength and conditioning coach. So Robert Steiner, if you're, you know, he's the new strength and conditioning coach at USC. Basically, they're in charge of all the early parts of practice, right? They're getting the guys ready. They're getting them warm. A lot of the work seems to be done over on Howard Jones Field. Any differences you're seeing in the early parts of practice when they're doing their warm-ups? No, I thought their warm-ups were uh, basically what they always do. Uh, they're sort of loose, and they, they sort of have fun with it. They didn't... Uh, a discipline type of warm-up uh, as far as uh, when they're down on the field and they're doing their striders and their stretching and so on. I used to make that a more discipline type of drill because at the start of practice, I wanted to have command of my team and have them alert and knowing what's going on. Uh, and uh, just a different philosophy, just a different philosophy. You can have any type of philosophy you want, but I'll tell you, the new strength and conditioning coach, I didn't see any what you call fat guys out there. Or we used to call them pus guts in the old days. And uh, I know that's a term maybe the people don't agree with today, but I'm just being honest with you. We used to have what you call a fat, fat man's table too, where all these guys that we thought they were overweight sat around a round table or two round tables or how many round tables there were and our nutritionist or straight conditioning coach would go around with a knife and push them off their play. You can't have this. You can't have that. And no desserts and so on until people got themselves in, what we said and considered great shape and not be overweight. Now, today, they control that every single day. They're on computers. They know what they're supposed to eat. So it's a little bit different. So I would say that when I looked at the offensive linemen, where I was closest to, those offensive linemen look good in their uniforms. Now, you know, I always say, you know, you got to look good when you warm up. Now, when I was a coach, if I was scouting that team, not knowing the caliber of those players, I would say, they look like football players in a uniform. Now, that doesn't mean they play like football players, but they look like football players. And then I always used to have a guy that I'd let come off of the bus first, too, when we arrive at a stadium because he was always my biggest, ugliest guy that people saw. So they would say, oh, my God, do we have to play those guys? So, you know, there's a lot of little things you do, and the team knew I was doing that, and the guy knew I was doing that. It was all a big joke. We had a lot of fun. Uh, So from – the warm-ups, you'd say, looking pretty similar to what they've done before. Any did any? It's I know it's hard from the vantage point. You said the offensive linemen look good. Anyone stand out as far as like, wow, that their body looks different than what I've seen in the past? 
Um, they both, uh, you know, I, I didn't look at it that closely, but yeah. I, I was really concentrating on the left tackle spot with with Ford and Collier, and they both look like they're, they're they potentially can be great players. They're big kids. They're freshmen. They're exactly what we talked about. I think it was this show I talked about keeping everybody in place that are returning starters and developing a left tackle from what you have as far as young players. So you have them for a while. And I think uh, uh, Ford and Collier, I think they can do that. I like Monaghan, too, the right tackle backup behind uh, McKenzie. I think these three young players, now I haven't seen them hit anybody really, but they fit the part of a left tackle, right tackle, as far as a young player, as far as visually, looking at them. Passing the eye test. We used to say they pass the eye test. Now, as far as how they hit, do they like to hit? Do they like to, do they have good feet as far as continuing to block and driving somebody down and, you know, what you call a, a slam block where the guy disappears into the turf? I don't know. But I certainly hope they do. Yeah, that, that, that's a good points on the left tackle spot. I mentioned this on our Tunnel Vision show Sunday night that you had said on our previous show, you didn't want to see like Jalen McKenzie move to left tackle. You wanted everyone to pretty much stay the same and then develop a left tackle. Find one of those young guys to be your left tackle of the future. And it looks like that's the direction they're going at least the first week. I don't know. Would you, would you be surprised if they kind of move things around next week or the fact that they started out going with some of the younger guys at left tackle, Cortland Ford first, uh, checking to you know see what they can do. Do you feel like there's going to be moves, or what your gut saying that they're actually going to try to develop a left tackle? Well, I hope they're going to try to develop a tackle. You can't go just one week or two weeks. You got to give a kid a chance to develop into a player, and you got to tell him, "I'm going to give you all the opportunities to be our left tackle, one of those two guys, or whoever you have in mind." And you guys, if you don't make it, it's your fault. Okay? So don't be mad at me. You're going to have the turns, you're going to have the coaching, you're going to have all the things that you need to become a, our starting left tackle, one of you guys or someone. I wouldn't want to disturb the other side as far as they've all played together. They know what's going on over there. They're familiar. People say, oh, you can move from the right to the left and it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. You put a different hand back, you use different step works with your feet. It, it is. So why change something? These guys are all seniors, most of them, except the center. I think he's a junior. I'm not sure. But why would you change now when you don't have to? Because you've got a veteran offensive line. So develop this, uh, these left uh, tackle kids and find someone that can play and make it happen. Get, show confidence in the kid. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes you might got, need to get on him and make him cry. There's nothing wrong with that. And what I mean by cry is try so hard that when you, when you fail, you cry. And uh, I think that's, you know, things that I used to talk about as far as as a football coach. You know, I know you you love what you're doing when you cry when you fail. So uh, there's nothing against the crying as far as or telling somebody you love them or whatever. You know, people think that's, oh, that's a sissy that when you when you cry or tell somebody you love them or whatever. Uh, I loved all my players. But again, I you know, I wanted to see them play football and they knew I cared about them. Yeah. Um, well, speaking, sticking with the offensive line, that's the uh, new position coach, Clay McGuire, was out there running the drills uh, for the offensive linemen. Anything different you look at as far as offensive line preparation? The one thing I noticed was I was look, writing down the numbers on Tuesday, and uh, it's a pretty big group. I think there was 19 or 20 guys, 
And I was like, I was like, oh, you guys are missing. And it was only half. They were like the early drills. They were splitting it up because the, the group was so big. They had split it up into different, you know, halves. Um, I don't know anything you saw from watching the offensive linemen. No, I think that's a good way to teach because you use the, uh, the right side, left side. Then you go the three inside guys, the center and two guards. You do different types of uh, work so people aren't standing around. You know, you don't learn anything when you're standing around. So you've got to keep the kids uh, working just like the quarterbacks. If you notice the quarterbacks, when they warm up, last year it was one at a time. This year, every play, the quarterback throws a football in their technique drill. They just rotate around with a different route. Nobody's watching. Everybody's throwing. And that way there's no watchers. There's no time to think about what's going on because you're going to be doing it. That's the way you get better with reps. And it was hard for me to determine on – McGuire's, uh, as far as teaching, it's the same basic offense, or they're teaching the same techniques. He might have a, uh, a, a trick or two that he puts in there with the step work and so on, which I don't know his different techniques and grub knows, so I, I can't tell you that. And where, we, where I was, there wasn't any screaming or yelling, but it was basically teaching. Now, when it gets into one-on-one live and half-lined live, and when it gets into... Uh, you know, scrimmage is live. Then I like to see the coach be live. And that means, you know, he plugs into the circuit himself. If he asks his players to plug it in, then you better plug it in. And you better have the same enthusiasm you expect your players to have. And, you know, I noticed on Clay Helton, he was running around a lot, uh, doing a lot of coaching, a lot of screaming and so on. And uh, I don't know if I want to get into that now unless you want me to, but I can give you my thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. What's uh, what? What did you notice from from Clay Helton out there? Well, I saw him uh, running around and doing coaching and getting on guys uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, locally, I could hear him. I mean, it was uh, nice. It was nice to see him get fired up. Then again, I don't like to see him getting involved. This is me now. He does. His, he knows why he's doing things. I don't like to see him getting him too many drills and coaching. But you take away the authority of the position coach. The position coach, is he's going to stand there and watch because they had man doing the thing or working with him. And when you're doing the coaching in one or two drills and you're there the whole period, how can you walk around and observe the other groups? You've got to walk around and observe what the other groups are doing and what those coaches are doing. on, And are they doing it the way you want them to do it? So when you start to get too much involved in – uh, the punt return guys or stock blocking or, or something, then, you know, the other groups suffer the head coach being around and the coaches in that area have got to be alert with the head man's coming. Oh, here comes the head man. And you got to cross your arms and just watch. You don't interrupt the You don't correct the coach unless you have to. And, uh, and, you know, unless there's something being taught that you completely disagree with. And you don't want to go back and correct him. You will. You'll write it down and remember during a staff meeting to have him correct it. And you get around to all the drills down at the defensive end of the field, offensive end with the punters. You're the head man. You're the the dean man. You've got to be around everywhere with all your eyes in the back of your head, the front of your head. Nothing escapes you on the fit football field. You want them in a staff meeting to say, "How did he see that?" I never saw him down there looking for that, or the practice field wasn't set up right. How did he find that out? There's always that little edge that a head coach has got to have. All right, Coach. Um, so we got to see what, what you saw. It's easier to see the offensive alignment. You talked about the running backs. 
uh, a little bit. Um, there was also the tight ends who were kind of close on your end. Uh, you, you know, new assistant coach there, Seth Dagey. Um, did you see anything from the the tight ends? Well, you know, they did their regular drills and so on. I didn't see them in any hitting type of drills. They go through their techniques and catch the football and their releases, and they run a lot of routes with the quarterbacks. I couldn't see them in any really hitting drill, uh, you know, like uh, blocking linebackers, or unless they did it down at the other end, which I couldn't see really, or in the scrimmage part of it, I, I really couldn't see them. I don't take, I didn't take a binoculars with me a lot of the guys have binoculars so i can't zoom in that closely but uh i, I can't really say much about the tight ends i'm i'm waiting to see what happens with the tight end they have a lot of them man yeah i'm gonna tell you they got a lot of tight ends i hope they uh go to what we've been talking about ryan and do a little double tight and balance the formations of the defense and you know what what tight ends you can balance a defense if a defense is overloading on you do two tight ends they got to play even they got to play a balance because uh, you're you've got the strength on them one way or the other so i like to see them utilize them uh, really utilize them and they're recruiting more so uh uh no i i can't give you a comment on that because i really didn't see enough to make one yeah, and unfortunately, um, you know, Josh Follow did go down with an injury, and we we're waiting uh, official word on that. Uh, we'll probably get that Tuesday morning when we get a a Zoom call uh, with the USC coaches and players. So we'll we'll give you more information as soon as we hear anything on Josh Follow. A little another news as far as position switches go. Uh, Josh Jackson, he moved from wide receiver to cornerback. There's a uh, you know, not a ton of depth at corner right now. They'll they'll have some more guys coming, um, you know, in the in the summer. Uh, you've got guys like Chris Steele out with those health and safety protocols, which is essentially COVID nineteen. Um, they haven't announced that, but that's what's going on there. But for Joshua Jackson, he ended up having an interception uh, in the game or in the uh, you know during the the practice. Uh, kind of used his wide receiver skills there a little bit. Any thoughts on his switch from one side of the ball to the other, Coach? Well, he's obviously uh, uh, going to be a player they can play there. He's a redshirt freshman. Got good size, 6'1", 185 pounds. Uh, I got confused for a while because Taylor's number six, and I saw two sixes on the defensive side of the football, and I didn't know one from the other. So, you know, they're both about the same size. Taylor's 6'2", 195. So uh, one made a pretty good uh, stretch out interception. I, I'm not sure who that was, one it was, or the other. It was Josh. Yeah, so Isaac Taylor Stewart and Josh Jackson are both wearing number six on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Josh Josh was wearing six because he was an offensive player. And now he's switched. So that, that won't be able to continue, Coach. But for right now, they're both wearing number six. So it is a little confusing. Yeah, it was confused. I was confused because uh, no one said much about it up there. And then, and I, I don't want to run around and ask people, but uh, I couldn't understand what it was. And But that's all right. You know, you're going to have to do those type of things. And, and you know, he's a young player, uh, Jackson, so let him get turns over there. He wants to play. Where's the place he can play the quickest? And if he can play the quickest on the defensive side of the football, then let him be over there. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have much comment on that. Obviously, he would go over there. You don't force a kid to go over there. You have to ask him if he'd like to go over there. Or when you recruited him, you gave him the option that we could play you here, we could play you there, and he understands that. So 
I think everything's copacetic there. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, Coach, you wanted to bring up from practice observations, stuff that you liked or didn't like, anything uh, that you saw? You know, you got the experienced eyes up there and, and high, you know, high in the sky view, a little bit different. So anything else you want to share? Well, I thought Ben Griffin was back kicking like he kicks. I like to see that. He wasn't overcoached. The ball was going high in the air, and he had that funny spin on it. It's not like a normal spin when it comes down. It makes it very difficult to catch. But he had a power leg going on, and I like to see that. Like the first year he came over in the spring, he was booming him. I sort of saw that. I think I think he got a little bit overcoached, okay? The last couple of years, you recruited him for a reason. You're teaching him too much. Let the guy kick the football, okay? That's what he does so good and gives you such great field position. So I thought he did a good job of punting. I thought the receivers that were catching the punt did a good job. Uh, I do. Uh, I think that's a difficult ball to catch. I thought I only saw one fumble during that period of time. They have to learn how to catch his ball and when to charge it and not charge it and when to fair catch it and so on. But they're not going to fair catch it back there because they want him to practice catching the ball and getting up the field and so on. This kid, Dixon, 21. Nixon, 21. He's a quick little kid. The kid transferred from uh, Colorado. And, uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's a star already after three practices, uh, the way he walks around. Nothing against him. He's just a hip-hopper and having a lot of fun. He seems excited as far as being at SC, but he hadn't played it down yet, okay? So it's time for him to get into the game, and he is, and he's a competitor. I know he is, but I think that he ought to run back to the line to get uh, like the others do and and uh, impress the coaches. You know, he's trying to be a friend of everybody's, which is good. I think it's good to be a friend of everybody, but if I was on the field, he'd come by and slap my hands too, okay? And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not being critical. I guess I am being critical, and I apologize to the kid. Because he's he's a good little quick receiver. I don't know about his uh, speed deep. Uh, He's going to have to be way open because uh, safeties are going to be much taller than he is. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens with him. All right, Coach, great stuff. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come right back and uh, get to voicemails. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. It's a uh, go to our first voicemail. It's our buddy, Curtis. 
Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. This uh, is for Ryan and the coach. I just heard a quote from Pete Carroll after their last loss. You know, the Seahawks were lost in the playoffs. And after Pete Carroll was interviewed, and he said he is tired of seeing cover two, every down, dropping seven, dropping eight on his quarterback. We have to run the ball. Take that as a lesson, Trojan coaches, because I haven't heard you say how you're going to deal with drop eight. You're going to see it every damn play, and you can't pass on it. So what are you going to do? I'm waiting. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, what I get out of that uh, question, Curtis, is uh, you're looking for the Trojans to run the football so that they don't see eight men on the line of scrimmage continuously. and. And there are three men, and they're rushing, they're covering with eight. Uh, that's the gist of it, and I agree. Uh, you've heard me say, Curtis, all the time, you can't run the football. You're not tough. Plus, uh, you're not going to win football games. you got to win football games by being tough and running, giving your quarterback a chance as far as being able to play action pass, have a lot of different series that set up things and, and rollouts and so on with tight ends and backs in the flat, throwbacks, the whole package. And you're going to see, like you said, a certain coverage all the time and because that's what you're going to see until you can beat them. And if I'm the defensive coordinator, I'm going to say, I'm going to take away what you do the most and the best. And that's a passing game. So I'm going to take that away until you prove to me that, uh, you you know, that you can run the football. Because I'm going to cover uh, and say, run the football. And I, I, I'd like to see you in third and long. And uh, certain down-distance situations when I know what you have to do. So you know they don't want you don't want the defense to dictate to you. You got to be able to do both to be a championship football team. And uh, you know eventually maybe that'll come around. As and I've Brian, I've talked to you off the air about this. Is when you talk about being physical, and you hear this on this show, and you hear Coach talk. Uh, Help them talk about we're going to be physical, we're going to be physical. What does physical mean to a coach or to Coach Clay Hill? What does physical mean? Does it mean that you attempt to run the football? Does it, uh, you know, you can't teach physical by just saying, we're physical, we're physical, we're going to be physical. No. You got to demonstrate that by the way you practice, and all of a sudden uh, you quit uh, thinking about my arm hurts or or this or that, or I need this yard. And you start to like the game of football, and you only have guys playing football that like to play physical. But you can see that. Now, on Saturday, if you watch 26 again, the linebacker from USC, he plays physical. There's no doubt in your mind you don't want him hitting you. He loves the game of football. He came to SC to major in football, not that he's not getting his academic degree and so on. But some people just go to college because they want to play football. I love football. I went to college because I wanted to play football. And fortunately, I got my degree and my master's degree and got accepted into a Ph.D. program. But that's because I wanted to play football. And there's some kids that just want to play football. And you can see a football player and understand a football player by the way and how he takes it so serious. So and coaches are the same way. You can tell when a coach is saying something we're going to be physical and yell at you, but he doesn't mean it or know what it is. So, again, uh, that's the way I explain it. I'd like to have someone, uh, maybe Coach Helton, uh, explain, what, explain what physical means in his term. 
the word physical. So the team understands what physical is. Don't tell me what it is. What is it you want? So we understand that they can, you know, uh, become that type of football team. But that, that, was there another part of that question I didn't answer, Ryan? No, no you got it. You got it. Um, good stuff there. And thanks, Curtis, for that. He's talked about quite a Curtis loves talking about the uh, drop eight stuff for USC. We've got one other one. Uh, this is about assistant coaches. And if USC has some success during the season, let me play it for you, Coach. Hi, Ryan, and hi, Coach. Uh, I was thinking that, uh, um, you know, if we have a – this is Al from uh, PA. Uh, if we have a um, really good season, and then the assistant coaches will be picked up, more than likely, go to another jobs, you know, head coaches, go to the NFL, and then we'll be in the same place that we are in in the first place. And that – yeah, that kind of scares me. I don't want to look at it like that, but it does. And also, I would think uh, that uh, Coach Orlando would be a really good head coach. What's your opinion on that? Thank you. Fight on. Well, you hope your coaches have an opportunity to move on, but that means you're winning. Uh, I used to, uh, you know, when we won a lot, I knew I'd lose coaches because coaches have the opportunity of becoming head coaches or getting coordinator positions or whatever. And you hate to do that because then uh, when a new coach comes in, uh, if you keep your coordinator, you have to teach him all the things, and then he has to teach the players. But when you lose coaches, normally it's because someone's getting promoted. Someone's becoming a head coach off your staff, and then he takes two or three of the graduate assistants with him, or he takes two of the assistants to become coordinators at his new job, and they have a promotion at the same time. USC is a school that uh, I just don't see that you leave, really, for just any job. USC is a, a school or university that, gosh, it's a dream come true to coach there. So I would be very careful where I go because you aren't going to be successful everywhere just at any job. So you got to be very careful on where you go because recruiting to USC is different than recruiting to Oregon State or recruiting to other schools. Uh, not that Oregon State and Jonathan Smith didn't do a good job, but it's, it's just different. I'm just telling you that. It's just different recruiting to Laramie, Wyoming, okay, than to Southern California. Todd Orlando, as far as being a head football coach, I have to wait and see. He talks a good game, uh, talks like the physical, does this and does that. But I haven't seen enough for him to be a head football coach. He was relieved of his coaching duties at Texas and came here to USC. Fortunately, he got a, gosh, uh, a great job after being relieved of his coaching position. And that's the same type of situation that he did. He brought a couple of assistants with him from Texas because uh, they work together, and they, they know that. But to say he'd be a good head coach, I have to wait and see. You know, I used to tell my coaches, someday you'll have the opportunity to sit in the big chair if we're successful. And I hope one of you get my job. Because if one of you get my job, that means I got a better job. And that means we won a lot of football games, okay? And sometimes assistant coaches think they can sit in the big chair, but they don't know what that big chair and all the problems you have to deal with in that big chair. They don't even know the problems and the things you have to go to meetings and and the things you have to attend to. So uh, 
you know, and you've seen a lot of great assistants not be really as successful as a head football coach. I don't want to name them, but, hey, some people have been great assistants, but when they become head coaches, they just can't get it done. So, you know, uh, I can't make a comment yet on Todd Orlando because I haven't seen enough to know if he could be a great football coach uh, as far as a head football coach. I want to see him first line up and kick somebody's butt on defense. Yeah, no, I I like what I hear from Todd Orlando, and I'm sure he could be on that track. Uh, you know, but having a good year this year would certainly help. I you know I agree with you, Coach. As far as you know, that's what you want to see. How USC's got rid of a lot of assistant coaches. Many many yeah, of them 41. have been fired. Forty one. Yeah, forty firing is bad. Uh, you know, usually a head coach doesn't get the opportunity to fire that many assistant coaches because if you're firing that many assistant coaches, you're probably not winning. Um, so it's been a unique situation. But if guys are leaving for promotions, if Todd Orlando or Graham Harrell gets a head coaching job somewhere, I mean that then I think you're you're doing your job. The issue for USC would be the hiring practices early on for Clay Hilton's tenure weren't. I guess super inspiring. Uh, now that the new athletic department is there, it feels like that they've been uh, a part of that process and have helped out. So if you do lose a bunch of the good assistant coaches that you've now hired, go through the same process. Whatever you did to to hire those guys, do it again. Don't go back to the well of hiring the familiar, hiring the you know nothing. You know that someone that you just know has been around USC for a while. So just hire them instead of going and finding the best available coach somewhere else. I, I think that's that would be the big concern, Al, is if they lost good assistant coaches but then weren't able to replace them with other good assistant coaches. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to replace great assistant coaches when you lose great assistant coaches. It's very difficult. I mean, uh, I lost a lot of coaches, and uh, it really disrupts your coaching staff as far as during the season, during the spring, and recruiting. They all have certain recruiting areas. They've made relationships. Wherever they go, they'll have those same relationships with those same coaches. But they'll be recruiting for a different school. So, yeah, it's it's very difficult. And uh, uh, USC is a prime uh, school, as others are, as far as location to live, uh, the tradition of USC, all of the above. And like I mentioned, uh, you can be sorry you leave sometimes a great situation like USC and go somewhere else, and it's not the same as far as financially. You don't have the money. You don't have the assistant coaches. You don't have the budget. You don't have all the things that uh, make it a great job. Uh, they're a pretender, and there's so many schools that are out there that are pretending. They're having football only because the alumni want football. But are they put the money in it? Are they doing what's necessary for that school to be successful in the uh, the opponents they're playing? You see so many of these schools playing what you call money bag games, playing big schools, uh, just to get guarantees so they can keep their football program and the athletic department as far as other sports. So you got to be very careful on where you select to go to school. Sometimes it's better, or go coach, sometimes it's better to be an assistant at a great university then a head coach is going to get fired in three years. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, it's touch and go. You Everybody wants to be a head coach, but I think it's really important on where you go. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. Uh, great chatting with you. It's love, it's love talking about football, and I love when you're out there at practice because you definitely look at it from a, 
uh, much more experience in different lens than I do. So great to talk to you about it, and uh, looking forward to seeing you out there at practice sometime soon. I'll be out there Saturday, Ryan. And again, uh, uh, say hello to everybody for me and all of you out there. Uh, I hope that you uh, uh, enjoy our podcast. We enjoy doing it. And uh, remember, it's only our opinion. Uh, you may agree, you may disagree, but uh, uh, that's what we're here for. Okay? Thank you again, everyone. All right, that's Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.isbire, which spells inspire2022.org. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.